Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. Philippians chapter 2. We're almost almost completely going to stay here today. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Paul takes aim at selfish ambition in this passage. In in verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And, And there's a reason that selfish ambition deserves such focus. Selfish ambition is this huge problem of mankind. It is the enemy of unity wherever it is found. Uh, We cannot pull together when all of us are pulling in our own separate directions and seeking our own things. Selfish ambition is, is taking all of what God has put in us to accomplish and then turning it in on itself so that I want to do it as long as it pleases me. You know, I, I want to accomplish something for my sake and for my fame, I want money for me. It all turns in on me. And that doesn't just cause problems for me personally. Uh, it causes problems for those who would work with me, whether that's in my family or in a local church or in a society where I'm only concerned about whether I get what I'm seeking, whether... Whether uh, wherever it's found, selfish ambition is a cancer that causes nothing but problems. Selfish ambition is ultimately empty. When we seek our own good and our own desires, ultimately we get to the end of that and we find that it is a vain promise. There's no gold at the end of the rainbow. The Wizard of Oz was really just a charlatan, Right? Uh, We find that money doesn't solve the problems we thought it would. In fact, money creates more problems. We get to the end of all these promises, and we find selfish ambition was just empty all along. And Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We know it's a problem, but, but how do we overcome that? Paul doesn't just command us to stop being selfish. He takes, he takes us to the one thing that is truly transformative, and, and that is he takes us to a story. He takes us to an example of someone who did it in such a way that we can never be the same. He takes us to Jesus, and he teaches us about how Jesus emptied himself. When we can discover and truly meditate on what Jesus did in leaving behind the privileges and status of equality with God, 
then we, then we can begin to move past our own issues with selfish ambition. Uh, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Humility is the answer here. Humbly thinking about others before ourselves. Their needs become the priority. And then in verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What is important to them? What matters to them? Let that be your focus. Paul is trying as best he can to teach us out of this problem. Finally, he says here, he says, here is what will get the job done. Here in verse, starting in verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first thing to see is, is that Jesus emptied himself. Paul is describing a lowering. In each step of the text, we get lower and lower and lower. In verse 6, he says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. We just got lower. And then he says, By taking the form of a servant, we got lower. Being born in the likeness of men, we just got lower. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. We got even lower. By becoming obedient, we got lower, obedient to the point of death. And, and, got, and, and we got lower and even death on a cross. When we start, Jesus is equal with God. And when we're at the end, Jesus is dying the most shameful death imaginable. Paul is describing a continual, voluntary lowering. He describes it by this idea of Jesus emptying himself. And many scholars believe that what we have in this scripture is, is actually an ancient hymn, right? It might have been one of the very first songs that Christians would have sung. And if that's true, Paul's saying, you need to be like what you're singing about. Sometimes our songs reveal, like we just sang a lot of these songs, and I love them, okay? Sometimes these songs reveal something about what we should be. And Paul says, here's, here's the example or the pattern of, of a lowering that you need to experience. It's not enough for us to say, I'm so thankful Jesus did all this for me so that I could have all of this. This example shows us we need to do what he did, right? The scripture, this scripture in the words of Paul is, is a, in the words of Paul, he says, it is a great mystery. We're not going to be able to fully grasp, grasp the mind of Jesus, what Jesus was thinking and, and what exactly it was like for him because, because we've never been God. We don't know what it's like to be God or to, or to be God on earth or to leave heaven and come to earth. We don't know anything about that. Uh, so we need some humility to understand that we're going to get to the end of 
of this and, and still have some questions. And that's okay. But what we need to see is obvious, even from where we sit, this idea of the lowering of Jesus. In verse 6, Paul says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to, to be grasped. The word form is used all over this text. In verse 6, the form of God. In verse 7, the form of a servant. And also in verse 7, he comes in human form. Jesus was in the form of God with all the privileges and all the status that that entails. What a statement that is. In the form of God. He is God, and we should take a moment to process that idea that Jesus deserves all praise and all honor, that, that all the creation is not only due to him, but it is subject to him. All of this is his, as he is in the form of God. Yet, yet that makes verse 6 even more startling because it says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And this is an interesting word. You might read it from the New King James or the King James Version, and it says, he counted it not robbery to be equal with God. The idea is this word has something to do with the holding on or, or taking something. Jesus had this status and these privileges, but he did not think that they were something that he had to have. He did not say, I'm going to hold on to them no matter what. It was something he was willing to let go. Jesus was willing to let go of being in the form of God. He didn't consider himself above this kind of mission. He didn't say, I won't do that, or, or don't you know who I am? We have, we have to ask ourselves the question then, what kind of God is this? Who being in the form of God is willing in some way to give that up. We're challenged by that because Paul is saying that, that what Jesus did is the kind of thing you and I are going to need to do. Amen. In verse 7 it says, but emptied himself. Or, or another version might say, he made himself of no reputation. What this is talking about is the idea of self-will. Remember back in verse 3, we're talking about selfish ambition, right? Jesus emptied himself of anything that has to do with him. I'm no longer going to be the one who dictates. I'm going to be the one who follows. Jesus becomes subject. He becomes a servant. It is no longer about what Jesus wants. Jesus is subject to the will of the people he serves and the will of the Father he obeys. There is nothing of Jesus in Jesus anymore. Now, other people may say this has to do with Jesus' power and that he emptied himself of power. And I don't think that that fits with the text here. I think that what fits with the text is the idea of abandoning self-will more than abandoning power. But no matter which way we take that, we all get to the same conclusion. The idea is about letting go. Not grasping, not holding on, but letting go. And this part of the text teaches us that Humility is always a choice. It is a choice that we will always have to make. It is a choice that it will always be an open option for us. No matter who you are, if Jesus had to make a choice to be humbled, then so do we. But if Jesus could make that choice, then so can we. 
If Jesus can leave behind the privileges and status of being equal with God, being in the form of God, we can let that go too. We can let go of the tiny bits of status and privilege that we enjoy and feel ourselves worthy of. Jesus emptied himself, and and if I'm going to pursue him and leave behind my selfish ambition, I have to empty myself of self in the same way. In verse 7, we see that Jesus accepted humiliation. It says, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the to the point of death, even death on a cross. Taking the form of a servant, the form of a servant that the God who made it all now becomes subject to his creation. The Lord becomes the servant. The Lord who's making that, that thunder, by the way. And this is stunning. Jesus becomes subject to the needs of the people that he created. Jesus becomes subject to the Father and the Father's will. Jesus becomes a servant. He accepts humiliation. And Jesus' service is service to people and to the Father. And I I state that deliberately because those two things are tied together. In our service to God and our obedience to God, we end up serving other people. Look out not only for your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Other people become the ones we serve, and we become the servants. There's also tied into that that we are serving God by serving others. That is the part of, of what we do as Christians. Christians serve Christ by serving Christ's people. Those things are tied together in Jesus' life. You cannot understand Jesus without talking about his obedience to the Father. But you also can't understand him without the people that he came to help. Both of those things work together as he becomes a servant. The lowering that that requires, the lowering, that's a hard word to say, that that requires, is what Paul is focused on here. There's an English word that describes that kind of lowering, and and that's the word humiliation. To be humble and brought low. That's what Jesus did. He accepted and he chose humiliation. Verse 8 says, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself, and then he humbled himself even lower by obedience, and then even lower by dying, and then even lower by dying a death on a cross. We tend to struggle a little with this idea of humiliation, I think, in the story of Jesus. Uh, Have you ever noticed that the Gospels don't talk a lot about the pain Jesus suffered on the cross? We like, to, we like to talk about it. Uh, you know, we get, we get the doctors to come in and, and do the medical examinations and of what exactly Jesus would have suffered, and we diagram what it looks like to scourge somebody, and then exactly how painful it is to be nailed to a cross and pull yourself up until you asphyxiate. And we go through the medical part, and we, talk, we want to talk about how much Jesus suffered and how much pain he endured. But have you noticed that the Gospels don't really put the spotlight on the pain? There's very rarely even words to indicate that there was pain other than the words that came out of Jesus' mouth. The gospel writers are very matter-of-fact about what happened. There, they crucified him. You know, they scourged him. 
And there's a reason for that. It's because the focus of of how awful the cross was is not in the pain. It's about the fact that Jesus lived among a people who were an honor culture. Uh, The Jewish people were an honor culture, and they were concerned about who was shamed and, and who was honored. And in an honor culture, there were things much worse than pain and death. Um, think about the Japanese samurai code. Have you ever heard of this? It's an, it's an honor code, okay? And if you dishonor yourself or your master under this samurai code, you will commit a, a, kind, of, uh, a kind of honor suicide. These Japanese samurai will kill themselves in a ceremonial way. And to us as Westerners, we say, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. But for them, there were but for them, there are things worse than death. There are, there are worse things than, than the pain. Uh, it is the dishonor that is, is, is show, it's associated with what they've done. They want to die honorably. And now we come to Jesus. What is staggering about Jesus is that this is the most shameful death that the Roman world could have concocted. Notice that the gospel writers, um, they do shine a, shine a spotlight on the shame. They talk about how Jesus was spat in the face. They talk about how people mocked him, how the Roman soldiers take his clothes off and then clothe him in purple. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and they mock him. Hail, King of the Jews. That's mocking him. They talk about how the crowds stand around the cross and make fun of him as he is there, and he's stripped, and he's hung on a cross for all the world to see. This is a criminal, and above his head are the, are the charges. This is the evil he has done, and people passing by can see this is what happens to people like Jesus. Can we even grasp that the God who demands, who deserves all honor and glory is suffering the most shame that man could put on him? I don't know. I don't know that we can wrap our minds around it. But Paul is saying Jesus chose it. He knew it, and he humbled himself anyway. And we may say, I just don't, I don't like to think about Jesus being humiliated. That doesn't mean it's not true, though. He humbled himself. He suffered shame willingly. And that's the point. It's so backwards that we don't, we don't even like to think about it. But that's the reason it's the message of the gospel. It shouldn't be that way. But it's that way because of me. That's the message of the gospel. If I want to rid myself of selfish ambition, it's going to mean humiliation. It's going to mean I have to choose humility. Remember, humility is always a choice. And part of that choice... Part of that choice is, is, is going to mean I lose face sometimes, that I don't get the honor that I think that I deserve. It, it, it's going to mean I have to swallow my pride. It, it's going to mean I have to serve people who I don't believe deserve it. They should be serving me. That's the way it, it, that, that, that this should work. But I choose to serve them. It, it means giving up things that I think are important for someone else and, and what they think are important. It means I'm willing to do things that I am pretty sure are beneath me. But I accept the humiliation. I take on the form of a servant. And the constant thought in the back of my mind is that I do this because of what Jesus has done for me. If Jesus can do that, then I can accept 
the small little amounts of humiliation that might come with serving other people. The next thing in this text is is that Jesus obeyed even when it hurt. Look again at at verse 8. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus obeyed the Father and went where the Father directed. Jesus obeyed the Father when he was in the desert wrestling with Satan. He obeyed the Father when he taught his disciples, even when he seems to get frustrated with them. He obeys in the garden uh, when he wants to pass the cup from him. But he says, "Never, you know, he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He obeys to the point of death, even death on the cross, even when it hurt. Is it any surprise that Jesus' disciples become the kind of men that they do? They are willing to suffer and die for a cause when they serve a master who is willing to obey even when it hurt. Humility at its finest is obedience. Obedience is the ultimate act of humility. This is the crowning part of humility because when we obey, we let somebody else be in charge. We say, I am fully subject to whatever you say. Humility is the antithesis of selfish ambition. Obedience is the opposite. The staggering thing about Jesus' obedience is that it wasn't just in simple and easy things. This was in things that were hard, even death on a cross, all the way, all the time. There was no time when Jesus backed off of his stance on obedience. Um, the Hebrew writer here in, in chapter 5, starting in verse 8, says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus is a shining example of obeying even when it hurts. Humility is shown by obedience, and, and humility is always a choice. It was for Jesus, and it is for us. But there are some things that are challenging to obey. Some things you have to hold your nose a little bit when you do them. Um, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I ask my, my dad or mom these kind of questions maybe. Do you ever have things you do in obedience to God that you, that you don't want to do or that are hard to do? do? Do parents enjoy disciplining their children? And children, the answer is an emphatic no, by the way. <laughs> Do, do, do you enjoy restoring an erring brother? Um, have you ever had one of those conversations where you had to go visit somebody who wasn't living right? Do you enjoy that, Dad? <laughs> Is that fun? But why do we do it? Why do we do things for people when we don't want to do those things for them? We do them because God is in charge of our lives and we're going to obey even when it's hard. And that's what Jesus shows me. And in the back of my mind, as I do that, are all the hard things that Jesus had to do. Because he was willing to humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedience, service to other people, is going to mean some long nights. It's going to mean some long weeks. And it's going to, be, it's going to mean some long years. It's going to mean some hard talks. It's going to mean giving up things that we would like and that we would like to be doing, that we would prefer because we know other people need us, because we know that's what Jesus did. Back in Philippians chapter 2, starting in 
starting in verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know what happened to Jesus after, after this too, don't we? We know that God glorified him and raised him and exalted him high above every name that is named. Jesus was willing to empty himself and accept humiliation and obey, and God exalted him. And we fight this with our selfish ambition, and God says, I'm the one who gives. I'll exalt you. You don't have to exalt yourself. I'll give you what you're seeking. Just stop seeking for yourself. Let God do the honoring. What we find at the end of all this is is that Jesus shows us this is the way. The way of service and obedience. Not the way of selfish ambition showing us we've got the whole problem wrong to begin with. God will do the exalting. So I challenge us this week. Let this week, let this be a week that we, that we spend in service to other people. Lose yourself and all of your ambition and your goals and, and your thoughts and what other people need and what other people are concerned about and what other people are thinking. Let this week be, let this week be a, a week where you are a servant to others. Let's go... Let's let go of of some of the things that are are important to us and do what is important and needed for others. And let's go, let's let go the way Jesus let go. I challenge us this week to do this. Think of, think of, think of ourselves as a servant this week. Lower yourself instead of thinking about what are other people doing for me? Are, Are they making me happy? Am I getting what I need from them? Think about what you can be doing for them. How am I serving them? How am I helping them? Take the form of the servant that Jesus took the form of. Obey God by helping people and doing what they really need, even if it makes us uncomfortable. By Be obedient even when it hurts, like Jesus did. Selfish ambition is a universal problem. But, but this is the way you beat it. You be like Jesus. And I challenge each of us this week, let's serve one another and let's serve others like Jesus did. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.